As Christians, we believe that salvation comes by grace through faith. But sometimes, don't we kind of want to help God out a little bit? You know, be good enough with good enough work so that he doesn't really have to work that hard to get us to salvation. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the right way to think, is it? It's either salvation by grace or salvation by works. But you know, even Paul, a long time ago, dealt with this same thing within the church. He admonishes the church in Galatia, in Galatians 3, 1 through 5, that you know they had received salvation and the Spirit of God through grace, but they kind of want to revert back to works of the law. And he impresses on them the need to hear with faith. And what does that mean? To hear with faith. I think by understanding what that means, we enable the Spirit of God to work within us. You interested in knowing a little bit more about what that term hearing with faith means? Then stay right here. Life-changing sermons. We've all heard them. They empower us, motivate us, breathe life into us. Exceptionally gifted preachers use their unique, deeper insights to uncover and present the scriptures in ways that are life-giving, life-altering. I'm Dr. Bob LaFave, pastor, researcher, and you are about to be inspired by the best preachers in America. Our guest today was a student at Georgetown University when he discovered the beauty of the gospel and became a follower of Jesus. In the years that ensued, he's led college ministries, has been a teaching pastor, and has been involved in church planting, including the church where he is currently lead pastor, Restoration City Church in Washington, D.C. Today we'll be talking about his sermon entitled, One Size Fits All. Our guest today well-known as prolific, powerful, and effective in the pulpit, is one of the best preachers in America, the Reverend John McGowan. Welcome, Pastor John. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Wonderful. Thanks, Pastor. You know, this sermon, uh, this one-size-fits-all, it's it's based on Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5, where Paul seems, you know, a little perturbed by the Christians in Galatians, And he uses this as an opportunity to teach them. And and you, through Paul's words, you do the same. And you start this sermon by describing the fact that, and it's a really good point, that we are all in our relationship with God, all at very different points. So no matter where we are, you say there's something we all need to do. Can you explain that for our listeners? Sure. I, th- I think, you know, that makes me want to go in two different directions at, at the same time. Um, one, in terms of what Paul is actually telling us that we need to do, um, and, and I certainly hope we get the chance to come back to that, but maybe even just picking up on why I chose to start the sermon that way, um, you know, because I really do think as much as when we talk about it in hindsight and we say, hey, all of us are in a different place spiritually— that feels inherently obvious to us, um, particularly if you've ever had to craft a sermon and you're thinking about some of the people that you know are sitting out there and you're thinking about what you know their week just looked like. Um, as a preacher, you feel the pressure of that. 
Right. The person who's not aware of it is the person who's brand new to church and is convinced right. that everybody else knows what's going on. And they're convinced that everybody else is living a cleaner life and a holier mm. life. So really, in some ways, you know, in the way I'm trying to start this sermon, it's a way of giving people a little bit of a handle on where I really do think Paul is going with the text, but it's also giving people permission to be who they are to be where they are um, and to kind of create the expectation that it's going to be okay to say that you're not a Christian. It's going to be okay to say that you are coming off an absolutely horrific week with God. It's going to be okay to say, I'm crying out to God for mercy and I don't feel like I'm getting anything right now. Um, so that was really part of the goal of just trying to make it safe to even allow people to ask the question, so, huh, where am I with God? Wherever I am, it's okay, but how would I answer that question even in this moment sitting here listening to that talk? Yeah, and, and people probably approach your sermons and, and mine as well from a vantage point of their relationship with God, right? Like, you know, I feel kind of like God's with me and my life has been good, so therefore I must be doing the right things and therefore, you know, I'm worthy of being here, right? As opposed to the person, as you mentioned, who's sitting there thinking, you know, I'm not sure I even get all this stuff. I really haven't felt that close to God lately and I, I'm not even sure what I'm doing here, mm -hmm. you know, because all these other people have it right, right? They're living a good life. Me, not so much. So I think it's a wonderful way to kind of level the playing field as you're heading into one size fits all, saying we're all in the same place. And, and, and then also, Pastor John, you, you go on to talk more specifically about what Paul means here, and that leads you to this one size fits all, right? Um, and, and so... From Paul's point of view, what is he really getting at? I mean, th this is one of those sections Paul cares about hearing with faith. I mean, that, that's the fundamental contrast that he is trying to draw. It is a, a unique phrase. He only uses it in this section of Galatians. So this is not um, a super common Pauline phrase. I, I would say you see the idea in all of Paul's writings, but it's a really particular phrase. And, and what is clear, even if you just kind of read the text quickly, um, is that he is drawing a contrast between the works of the law and hearing by faith, hearing with faith, right. um, which is so right. much of what he's up to, you know, kind of throughout all of Galatians. But you don't have to know a whole lot about the Bible. You don't have to have a whole lot of training in exegesis or homiletics or anything like that to say, okay, clear, clearly, verse two, verse five. Yeah, he's all about, I got the works of the law on one hand. I have hearing with faith on the other. They're somehow opposite. And he clearly wants me to land on this hearing with faith side. Right, right. And, but, you know, really... The idea that one size fits all, as you mentioned in your sermon, it doesn't seem right to me, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back against that a little bit, won't I? If I'm just sitting there listening to that thinking, look, this, 
that isn't for me, right? I mean, I don't fit in like other people fit in, right? Nothing really fits me just like it fits everybody else. But, but really, you say when, when Paul's talking about hearing with faith, he's talking about some really specific things. So do you mind just enlightening our listeners on exactly what Paul is getting at? When he gets in his hearing of faith, he's talking about some specific things. Yeah, I think he means specifically understanding, accepting, and trusting the gospel, mm. right? In order for this phrase, hearing with faith, um, to make any sense, we have to first wrestle with, okay, hearing what? Because there's clearly, you know, a multiplicity of things on the internet or on our bookshelves or whatever that hearing it with faith will just lead you into absolute disaster. So right. he's got to have some content in mind. And by this point in Galatians, and even in the immediate context right here, it's clear he's talking about, you know, sort of this fundamental message of the death, burial, the resurrection of right. Jesus, and he's talking about how he wants us to um, appropriate that, how he wants us to internalize that, um, kind of how we're meant to engage with the gospel. So I think you got to get that target really clearly in mind that hearing with faith means, you know, that we are understanding, we're accepting, and we're trusting the gospel. So, Pastor John, as you begin to walk through this passage— you start citing scripture, and of course, that first sentence, which is where Paul really sort of lets them have it, uh, you know, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, and that gets everyone's attention. But then he goes on to say in verse 2 uh, that um, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed and crucified. And that leads me to think that what he's saying is his listeners have seen that. But, but the fact is his listeners probably didn't see that. You take what Paul says here a little differently. Do you mind explaining that? Yeah, I think you're right in your observation that it would have been extraordinarily unlikely that anybody from Galatia was in Jerusalem the day that Jesus was crucified. And, and right. if by some crazy circumstance somebody was there, I mean, we're, we're talking like a handful. We're certainly not right. talking uh, the whole church. Uh, I think what Paul is getting at is he is reminding them. Um, we got to remember, first of all, Paul's the guy who planted the churches in the Galatian region. So right. he's kind of founding pastor. And essentially, he is saying, We covered this so extensively. And I tried to communicate this so clearly. And I painted such a vivid picture. That it's almost, you wouldn't have any more understanding of this had you actually been there that Friday. You right. wouldn't have any more understanding had you actually been there that Sunday morning with right. the empty tomb. It's, you might as well have seen it because we've been over this so many times, you know, to the point that he really right. doesn't mind calling them foolish. And he's kind of having this moment of, yeah, no, guys, we really did this. What happened? I don't understand. How did you yeah. mess it up this badly, this quickly? Like, what happened to you? Right. And, and it's interesting because the first thing that goes through my mind is, is that really a lot different from today, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you as a pastor feel the same way? My goodness, I baptized you, I confirmed you. I, you know, we've, we, I, you've heard me preach for, for a decade and still 
You don't get it. And, and now, of course, you know, there's me and you, but then, of course, there's, there's Paul who actually, you know, was there. Or at least maybe not the crucifixion, but at least he was there during that period of time and had, had witnessed a number of things. So I'm wondering, do you see an application there as well? Do you sort of feel that maybe Paul's even talking to us sometimes? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, part of me as a preacher, there's a comfort that here's the Apostle Paul. He taught these things over and over and over again, and he's still looking at some of the people in his congregation, and he's like, man, I don't get it, because I think sometimes we're real hard on ourselves, and we look at what's happening out there in the pews, and we're kind of like, man, but if I was a Paul, this wouldn't <laughs> be happening. And it seems clear that if you were a Paul... This could absolutely be happening. And I will also say, even though this isn't exactly where I went with it in the sermon, of course, I see this, what happened to you in our people all the time. I see it, though, in me. Right? I mean, there's moments by the middle of the week, I'm like, well, what happened to you? You were the one that preached the whole sermon. I mean, it wasn't just that you listened to it. You wrote the whole thing. You prayed through the whole thing. You did it. Where does that leave you now here on Tuesday night wondering why in the world you can't seem to approximate anything of what you just, you know, so passionately called people to on Sunday morning? So, you know, there's a little bit in here of human nature of, man, you're going to hear a really good sermon and you can even understand it conceptually, but then really struggle to live it out. And, and, And you make that point that, you know, this is really Paul's hearing with faith that it's it's taking it in right? It's, it's having it change you and, and take hold of you, uh, which is, you know, not what we sort of think of when we think hearing, right? Hearing means, okay, well, I'm in church and I, I've heard it. I've heard the sermon. Yeah, I'll stand up. I'll say the you know, Apostles' Creed. Yeah, I believe all that. But there's, there's really a different quality when it, when it looks, you know, when we, we talk about sort of truly understanding, truly accepting, and truly trusting. Would would you agree to that? Oh, absolutely. I think there are a lot of times where, you know, when it comes to listening to sermons, I sometimes think about, um, you know, it's amazing how many songs I know when they're playing on the radio in the car. And I can kind of sing along, and I'm like, yeah, I love this. But, man, you cut that radio off, and all of a sudden I don't know the words at all. I don't know what to sing next. And I think a lot of times people sit in the pews and they're kind of singing along with the sermon of like, yeah, I know where he's going. Okay. Got it. Yep. Heard it before. Jesus died in my place. That's exactly right. If you said anything different than that, you know, we'd be out of here. But there's this question of, okay, it's one thing to nod your head. It's a totally different thing to internalize it to the point that it changes your life. And that's obviously what Paul's trying to get to with this. Right. And, 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 and then really that leads to sort of the next point here where in verse 2, um, and, and you read through this, and, and, and here is verse 2 for those listeners, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard. And, and you say that Paul, and this I thought this is a really fascinating point, Paul is using language here that is touching on something in his listeners because it reflects kind of a, a common theme in the New Testament, and he's hitting on that theme. Would you mind telling our listeners about that? Yeah, in one sense, he's using very common language um, that we find in multiple places in the New Testament that just refers to somebody becoming a Christian. So really what he's doing is he's saying, let's go back to day one. 
you guys came to faith, which, by the way, total aside, he is not questioning the salvation of his Galatian audience. You know, he is questioning right. these um, pseudo-brothers that have come in, these false teachers. I don't think Paul believes they are truly saved. He seems to be leaning in the direction of, no, these Galatians are Christians, and he's actually playing on that. He's saying, let's talk about your experience. Let's go back to day one. When you came into this whole thing, how did that happen? Was it because you started to clean up your act, and you started to obey the law, and you became a good religious person? Or did you all of a sudden get it? The light bulb went off and you understood why God died in your place on the cross. And then he just twists the knife. Because he's kind of saying, like, of course, you know how this happened. And don't forget, when that happened, you received the spirit of God. This whole Christian project has been never just been about conformity to a moral law. It's been about becoming a new creation. So, you know, he's kind of going back a little bit in a, hey, let's talk about your experience. But then he's also having a moment of, yeah, can we just remind ourselves of how extraordinary your experience really is? Right. And, and, and that grace. So he really is sort of reminding them. I, th- I think that's a great way to put it, Pastor John, is that he's taking them back a little bit. Hey, let's, let's go back through what you really experienced, that grace. Did that grace then, you feel like it put you in a position to now you have to go retroactively go back and earn your salvation, right? right? Because it seems like that's what the Galatians are assuming. And, and you also say that that an important point here is too is, is that the message is that we don't need to clean up our act to come to God to meet some level of goodness to be acceptable. Right? And and don't so many of us sort of feel that way. You know, we'll, we'll accept God's grace, but we should probably help God out too, right? And we should probably, you know, let, let, let me get a little closer, you know, to perfection, and therefore God is a little more willing to accept me. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, if we, you know, um, if we were to go out and share a meal or something, and you were to say, hey, the check's going to come at the end, grace is the one where one of us just picks it up um, and pays the entire thing, but there's something in us when it comes to um, spiritual things, when it comes to questions of salvation, where we feel like, okay, look, I'm sorry, I'm embarrassed to say, I'm not going to be the one that's able to pick up the full check, but don't worry, I'm going to contribute something, and your role really is to come in, and you're just going to help me make up the gap, right? That feels more right, right. responsible, right? That feels like the right way of, yeah, like, well, let right. me do my part, and then I understand I can't get all the way there, so you're going to have to jump in, and you're going to do your part, and I'm going to be real grateful for that, and you're going to get me someplace I couldn't have gone on my own, but obviously it's only right and proper for me to contribute to something, and you know the whole message of the Bible is, I'm sorry, when it comes to your salvation, you have very little to contribute. You, you don't have... Yeah, you don't have it in you to get 60% of the way and, oh, Jesus is just going to come up and make up for that 40% you don't have. But that is what Paul is constantly trying to get his listeners and his his readers to remember, you know, this idea of becoming a Christian is the, is the idea of declaring spiritual bankruptcy. Right. And, and, and you make a great point here that, you know, it seems to be that the Galatians are sort of assuming that they have to sort of, you know, Work a little bit, right? And and that you're implying they're sort of going backwards in the in their thinking, but that it, it's the you start leading into the actual work of the grace, the work that occurs in us that we didn't just receive grace, 
But what Paul is getting at is that we are changed by grace. And then you use that to go into another example where Paul uses this sort of provocative language is what you mentioned here, that sort of cast becoming a Christian in a unique light. And it's, it's so unique, it's so different and better than anything else humanity has experienced before. And you say there is one key difference, the thing that does the work in us. Can you talk about what Paul means there and how that fleshes itself out in our own sanctification? Yeah, so I think what's so interesting about what he does here is he's kind of made this appeal back to their um, salvation. And he said, you know, you were saved by grace, and that's kind of the head-nodding moment in the church where we're like, yes, yes, yes. But then he's asking this question. He's saying, now, you know that God's not done with you. Um, you know that the entire goal of Christianity is not just to rescue you from hell and get you into heaven. You know that God wants to work to transform you into the image and the likeness of of his son, but you're changing the way you're playing the game midway through. You started by grace, but now you think you're going to grow and change by your own effort. Now you think you're going to do this work. Come on, guys. You're not going to be any more able to change yourselves than you were able to save yourselves. Mm. There's not a new strategy. Mm. It's still the same idea of understanding, accepting, and trusting the gospel. It is allowing the Spirit of God to transform you from the inside out. Mm. And to me, this is one of the most important points um, that we can make in the church in general right now. Because I think oftentimes we fall into this trap of preaching salvation by grace, mm. but transformation by, by work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's a total yeah. denial of the gospel. Um, and I think in those moments, Paul would be saying, oh, you foolish 21st century American Christians, what got into you? People were saved <laughs> by grace, and all you're offering them on Sunday is three tips to a better marriage? All you're offering is five points on how to be a better better forgiver, and I am all for practical application, and I am all for thinking through what does it look like to live this out well, so, so please don't misunderstand me with that at all, but we've got to give people something deeper than that, um, you know, than just three tips or here's three ways or something like that, because at the end of the day, we just don't have it in us to bring about the transformation that we want, yet alone the transformation that God wants for us. Right. And, and the things that we do that we feel like are in accordance with God's will, oftentimes we attribute to our own self, our own characteristics, and instead of, as you mentioned, the work acknowledging the work of the Holy Spirit in us that is leading us there. And, and, and as you mentioned, you know, Pastor John, it's, it's a really important distinction because that can be the danger, can it be, of, of you know, coming back to Christianity, restoking your relationship with Jesus Christ, getting involved in the church and starting to work for the church and volunteer, which are all really good things. But if you get to the point where you begin to feel that in some way you are more meritorious because of the works that you do, you're in dangerous territory, which is maybe getting back to some of your original points where, you know, sometimes it's pretty good to be that person in the church 
who feels like, I got nothing. I'm here, I'm a beggar looking for a piece of bread. And that pastor is showing me where the bread is, you know? And and coming in a very contrite way, which is one of the, the best postures, I suppose, in the church. Okay, so sorry, what were you gonna say? No, just that, man, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the most dangerous place to be spiritually is the place where you think I've got this. Yeah, right. Well, and, and you make that point. I think I think that's a really important point. Um, and, and and we miss out on a lot when we when we feel we do. Uh, so that spirits is at work in us is is sort of the main point you're getting at as you're heading near the end of your sermon, and it's the spirit and also the power of that spirit that helps us to understand and accept the work of the gospel. But you also say, and that's why it's so important to hear with faith, be, because this is how you, you grow as a Christian. And, and, and then again in verse 5, so again I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard, right? And And... and you say, you know, this is the real issue here, that it wasn't obedience to the moral code that made us a Christian, is it? It's not obedience to the moral code that makes us a Christian. It's not obedience to a moral code that helps us grow in our relationship with Christ, and it's not obedience to a moral code in and of itself that enables us to experience the power of the Spirit. I mean, I think with all of these things, you've got to be careful because I'm like, oh, it is possible through disobedience to the moral code to quench the Spirit. We can clearly grieve the Spirit of God. Um, Clearly, we have a role to play in our sanctification. You know, um, how do you understand, accept, and trust the gospel. How does the Spirit work through us? You know, I'm a strong advocate of, you know, as I think we all should be of, well, reading God's Word and praying and fasting and all of these things help with that, but all of those things are designed to connect us to Christ, to connect us to the transforming power of the Spirit, to connect us to the beauty of the gospel as opposed to seeing those spiritual disciplines almost as a means um, in and of themselves. Like sometimes we prescribe Bible reading like, oh, right. having trouble in your marriage? All right, read two chapters every morning. That'll do it. <laughs> and then people come back and be like, it hasn't done it. Oh, well, what's up the dosage? Let's go, two chapters, are the New Testament yeah, chapters? Right. Okay, well, let's go two New Testament, grab yourself something out of Proverbs, and then get an Old Testament book. And it's like we're trying to dial it in, or people will say that thing of like, oh, well, I'm praying. Well, I'm just going to start praying harder. And I'm like, I have no idea how to pray right. harder or how to pray lighter. I don't. I mean, I don't know how to ease up on that. Um, you know, these things again. I'm, I'm I'm getting a little bit off topic here. These things are in and of themselves really, really good. But we have to remember what they are attempting to connect us to, and ultimately who they are attempting to connect us with. And, and I, th- I think that really is on target because. Because you you do circle back. I mean, you, you get your sermon is much like Paul's passage here, getting people back to really that original grace, the true understanding, and the true accepting, and the true trusting. Because if we're if we're grounded in that, and and you make the point that we we don't settle for too little. If we're grounded in that, and we have that understanding, that appreciation, under really 
taking that grace in and letting it work in us, that becomes, as you say, an antidote to our spiritual boredom, right? Um, that sometimes, you know, we, we have to go back to those days when we were just happy to see ourselves in the story of God, sort of a simple, humble belief that God is in control. And, and then you say, as you mentioned before, if you feel you've got it, right, then, then maybe you're not seeking the adventure that God has designed for you. He gives you a mission. He should never settle. So, so can you talk about that a little? Because I think, Pastor John, that is truly a very inspirational point in this sermon because it, it not only grounds us in, in sort of hearing uh, the faith and, and getting the gospel, but it also takes us forward. It means that we can live our life with more freedom, not less freedom, and, 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 and more adventurous. So tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about how you see that being grounded in hearing the faith as, as opening up your future, giving you something that y- y- you may not now be reaching for. I think what happens over time um, as we walk with Christ and as we get more familiar with the Bible and we also, um, in, in some senses, become disappointed with ourselves, we consciously or unconsciously develop this need to read Scripture through the lens of what we are able to do in our own power. So we almost regard um, the Bible as an aspirational text or a text that describes the real-life experience of some historical heroes of the faith. And we kind of say, well, yeah, well, that was a Paul. Did Yeah, that was Luke. I'm no James, for crying out loud. So what we unintentionally do, or maybe intentionally, is we kind of come to God's Word and we say, yeah, but clearly I'm going to need to run this through the filter of what I can do. Here's here's how how I'm able to interact with that, and I think what God wants us to do is to take him a lot more seriously in terms of what he is calling us to do, that life of faith, that life of trust, that life of adventure, the way you say it, Um, and to be at that point of saying, wait a minute. Everything God wants out of my life is impossible in my own strength, Wait, I have no choice, back to square one, but to understand, accept, and trust the gospel. When you are willing to open up a gap between what you believe God is calling you to do and what you are able to do, that's where faith lives. That, that, that is the real world working out of faith in our lives, that gap between your ability and God's calling on your life. Yeah. Pastor John, that, that is a perfect place um, for, for us to end, but I, but I have more questions. And I, I would like our listeners to hear about you. So tell me about Pastor John, the preacher. Um, it didn't seem that uh, from the time you were five, year old, uh, five years old that you wanted to be a preacher, right? No. Um, so what is the story that brought you to the pulpit at Restoration City? Yeah, no, I definitely at five had no interest in being a preacher. And at 17, if you had told me I would be a preacher or a pastor, I would have said, what in the world happened that I didn't have a real job in life? I mean, I was not um, seeing myself as somebody that would go in this direction 
at all. Um, it wasn't until the second semester of my junior year of college that I became a follower of Christ. Um, I had had two very good friends who lived in Southern California. I was going to school in D.C. at the time, but they were in Southern California, and they kept sharing the gospel with me over a period of four years, and ultimately it clicked one day um, in that second semester of my junior year, the end of January, and God became so real, and there was something in me um, that knew from day one that God was real, God was changing my life, and I wanted to tell other people about him. So um, I remember as this college kid um, taking my roommates out to dinner. I lived in an apartment on campus, and I took them all out to dinner that night. Uh, we went big. We went to the Cheesecake Factory, which was a stretch for me financially. That was like, man, <laughs> we went big time so that I could tell them, look, I've become a follower of Jesus today. Um yeah, it's no different yeah. than what I was trying to do that night at the Cheesecake Factory. All I wanted to do was tell my friends that God was real, that he was changing my life, that I was pretty sure he wanted to change their life, and that they would find Jesus way more exciting than they ever thought. And, you know, clearly um, I didn't go into that dinner with a text ready to exegete or any of that. But, you know, so there's, there's ways that this preaching task is different, but that's still the same heartbeat. Um, it may not be four people around a table at a cheesecake factory. It may be a different setting, but it's still God is real. God is alive. God has changed my life. God wants to change your life. And I think you would find so much more joy and excitement in him than you could ever imagine. So really, you, you see yourself, even as a pastor, sitting around a table with friends when you get up there and preach and, and sharing what you've learned about Jesus. Uh, and so that's, that's really a, sort of refreshing um, a model, I think. Well, and the nice part about that, even going back to where we got started, is if you think about it as sitting around a table with friends, all of those friends are in a different place with God spiritually, uh, right? Um, yeah. You're not just talking to a monolithic audience. You are talking to real people who have real challenges in their life and in their family. And that is just, you know, how much more so in this period of COVID and this period of economic and political and racial uncertainty. I mean, everybody's dealing with stuff, but everybody's in a different spot. And we're right. trying to connect the eternal word of God to what's happening in your your life today. Um, and I think that's the beauty of the dinner table analogy. You know, I didn't sit them down to just give um, a discourse on the redemptive power of Jesus. No, I, right. I wanted exactly. them to get, no, guys, this is this matters to you. Like, I'm telling you because I'm hoping God does something in your life. I, I think that's the ethos right. that we want to carry with us into the pulpit. And that's fantastic. And plus it leads me to, to maybe my last question. Seeing that as, as a challenge, right? I mean, when I'm teaching university course, I know where they are. Every single one of them has taken this course and this course and this course, and they're ready for mine. So that's a different, that's a different place from the preacher. So what is it, with that in mind, in your view, and it's just your opinion here, Pastor John, what is it that makes an effective or quote-unquote a great preacher. What is it? Do you look at scripture in a unique way, a different way than maybe the average person would? Do you unpack it in a particular way? Do you, do you ask questions about scripture that other people may not think about? Or is it 
personality, charisma. Tell me what you think. What is what makes a great preacher? I think not not to start with the overly spiritual answer, but preaching is a distinctly spiritual activity. Um, it's different than lecturing. It's different um, than giving a speech. So I think at the end of the day, probably the commonality between everybody that we would point to as a great preacher is that we acknowledge that the Spirit of God is supernaturally at work through that. Having said that, I do think there is um, an obligation to present God's Word in a way that is engaging. People do that very differently. Um, there are people that are storytellers. There are people that tell jokes. Um, Tim Keller, for example, he does very little of either, yet he's deeply engaging. There's just something about him where you're like, yes, just please keep talking, sir. I'd like to learn yeah. more. And I, and I think that is yeah. part of it. I also would say, and again, this is my opinion, but this is a lot of how I try um, to approach the task of preaching. If the premise of the sermon that we discussed this week is right, it provides a tremendous amount of hope for us as preachers. Because the claim was, hey, wherever everybody is, what they need is the gospel, which gives a clarity of like, okay, that's our job, is to preach that gospel, rather than trying to pretend that we have a unique word for everybody who is in, you know, an infinite number of different situations. Well, um, Pastor John McGowan, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Anyone who would like to see your sermon and not just hear it in its entirety, which is on YouTube, you can go to inspirationalsermons.com and they will find that link on your profile box on the Best Preachers page. So Reverend John McGowan, thank you so much for being on the podcast and may God continue to bless you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been great to get the chance to sit down and talk with you. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Love this episode of Inspirational Sermons? Join us at inspirationalsermons.com. And we'd really appreciate it if you head over to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, rate, leave us a review. See you next time as we continue to explore epic, life-changing sermons by the best preachers in America.